Welcome to Private Club Radio, the industry's first and only program dedicated to education, news, events, trends and announcements. Broadcasting from Tampa, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Gabriel Aloisi. We're bringing a little international flair on this episode of Private Club Radio. Our guest hails from the United Kingdom. His name is Michael Braidwood, and he's the Director of Education at the Club Managers Association of Europe. We've got a lot to talk about. Michael and I discuss the trends that are happening in Europe and in the United Kingdom. We'll discuss education and how it's driving the club manager position forward in Europe and the UK. And as a club manager in the United States, what can you actually learn from a club manager in Europe? And you're just moments away from the inaugural edition of The Inbox, a new segment here on Private Club Radio, where Rick Coffey and I answer questions from you, the listener, as well as some burning topics of the golf and private club industry. Stay tuned for that. Private Club Radio is brought to you by Shake Creative, the premier marketing and design firm, helping prestigious clubs increase and retain their membership. Visit shaketampa.com to learn more. Why do over 60% of boardroom magazines' distinguished clubs choose to partner with Club Essential? The better question is, why not? As the leading provider of club management and marketing software to over 1,400 private clubs, our unified suite of modules are designed to automate club operations while informing and engaging members. From websites to accounting and POS to CRM, online reservations, and mobile apps, Club Essential has all of your club's technology needs covered. Visit clubessential.com to learn how our experienced team can help your club. Again, that's clubessential.com. We've got a few new features on our website if you haven't been there lately. First off, we have a new webinar series that's going to be happening quarterly. And the summer edition of the webinar series is called Marketing to Millennials. I will be delivering this webinar. I'm not going to be delivering them all, but I will be doing this one. But if your club struggles with an aging membership and you're looking to get younger families and millennials into your club, Or if you're just a forward-thinking person and you know in 10 to 20 years your membership is going to be made up primarily of this generation, you're going to want to tune in on July 25th at 2 p.m. to Marketing to Millennials, where we talk about the driving motivations of millennials, really what makes them tick. We're going to get into some facts and figures about this generation, and we're going to discuss ways that your club can better market and better provide a club experience that's conducive to millennials. It's not going to be a boring education where you hear me drone on and on. I'm going to have you break out a pencil, and I'm going to give you some worksheets, and we are going to walk away from this session with an action plan and a strategy to win new millennial members. And if you register early, if you register before July 15th, I've got a special promo code for you, PCR25. Listeners of Private Club Radio get 25% off if they register before July 15th. Sign up on our website, privateclubradio.com slash millennials. I hope to see you on the webinar. Second thing I want to talk to you about is our new voting on Private Club Radio. You can now vote for the episode topic that you want to hear. All you do is go to privateclubradio.com slash vote. It's a two-question survey. We don't ask any personal information. Just tell us the topic that you want to hear and the type of club that you belong to or work at, and we will find the expert in the private club industry who's best suited to that subject matter and get them on this show. I'm dedicated to giving you, the listener, what you want to hear 
And this is the way for you to tell me. So just go to privateclubradio.com slash vote and select the topic that you want to hear. All right. The time has come. Here we go. And now it's time to open up the Inbox presented by Club Essential. It's the inaugural edition of the Inbox presented by Club Essential. I'm thrilled to bring this new segment to you because not only is it going to answer a lot of the questions that you and your colleagues have, it's a way for you to get actively involved and participate in this show. So here's how it's going to work. Once a month, Rick Coffey of Club Essential and I will field a number of questions that have come from audience members just like you, as well as the hot, and I mean burning hot, industry topics. We'll both take 30 seconds. Maybe we'll go a little bit long, but we're going to give you our take on the issues that are relevant to you. Yeah, whether it's questions about membership, your marketing, programming, technology trends, or the like, this is your chance to ask us the important questions you have that'll drive your club forward. And it's super easy to participate, right, Rick? That's right, Gabe. We've made it extremely simple. You can leave us a voicemail by going to privateclubradio.com slash inbox, turn on your computer's microphone, and press the record button. Simply tell us your name, the club you're from, and the burning question you would like answered on the show. I want to give a big thanks to the team at Club Essential for making this segment possible and for lending us Rick's expertise once a month. I know we're going to have a lot of fun and you're going to get a ton of value from this segment. I'm hoping it's the most productive five minutes of your month. And while I know that's a bold statement, I know Mr. Rick Coffey can make that a reality. What? Just me? Yeah, Rick. You're the expert here. I'm just the guy with a microphone and the dashing good looks. You're the brains of this operation. I think I'm pretty dashing myself. Actually, that is true. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Without further ado, let's open the inbox. The first question, was the USGA ruling at the US Open bad for a sport that's trying to attract new players, Rick? Oh, great question. Yeah, this was this was just crazy. I was actually in the car listening to this on the way down to Cincinnati. You know, golf has been declining since 2000, as we all know. And, you know, it's already hard enough to play the, the sport of golf. Then when somebody's watching it and they see what happened to Dustin Johnson, I, I just can't imagine that anybody who wasn't a diehard golfer enjoyed what they saw there. I mean, first, I don't think it was a foul. The the greens at Oakmont are the fastest pretty much in the country. I think Lee Trevino coined the phrase that to one time he put a dime down and the dime slid away. So looking at the review, I mean, I don't think Dustin did anything to make the ball move. A, okay, that's the first part. Second part is how the USGA handled it, I think, was even more atrocious. No, that happened on five. They come out and see him on the 12th green and let him know, hey, Justin, we're going to look at this. I'm not going to tell you what we're going to do, but we're going to look at this. And by the end of the round, we'll let you know if you're going to be penalized. I mean, that is just unbelievable that that would happen in pretty much the biggest event of the year. You know, so I I just think it was a bogey all around for the USGA. There's a number of things that I see wrong with this. Number one, it's a gentleman's sport. If Dustin Johnson claims he did not touch the ball, then why are you going to tell this guy he's a liar on national TV? (laughs) It's basically what the USGA did right there. Number two, the rules are already a steep learning curve as it is for amateurs. So why confuse them even more? There's so many nuances and so many things you have to be thinking about. It just makes it the barrier to learning the game that much more when when you put something like this in the spotlight. And then number three is... He didn't improve his lie. He never, you know, it (laughs) didn't help him. The ball went backwards about an, you know, a 16th of a millimeter. So 
in in what bizarro world did he actually, you know, why should that be penalized if you're not even making an improvement? Um, if, if anything, he slightly made the putt a little harder. So I agree with you that the yeah. USGA, uh, that was sort of a debacle, and I hope that doesn't happen again. And the cool thing was on social media that the top players came out to his defense right away. And I think that was when the USJ found out very quickly that it was the wrong ruling. I mean, you had Jordan Spieth, Roy McIlroy, Tiger Woods all coming out very quickly, calling it a farce. And it was just a bad look for the USGA. I agree. And that might be the only time on this segment that I agree with your take. So let's go to the next (laughs) one. (laughs) All right. Let's get right into operations at a club. I love this question. So I don't know, Gabe, if you know, but generally there was every month you would print a uh, full color newsletter at a club. Well, now technology has allowed us to do that digitally through multiple methods as well. So the question is here, digital or paper newsletter, can we do, can we live with both, either, neither? What's your take? All right. Well, I'm going to go a little bit old school here. I'm a sucker for history and tradition. So I think a printed magazine style newsletter is classy and it's most befitting of a fine private club. However, I do think digital publications should be offered as an alternative for the millennials and for the younger members. But I think that getting rid of the printed newsletter is probably a mistake. What's your take, Rick? Yeah, being from the club level, I'll probably just switch the answer there a little bit. Just looking at, you know, that's a line item in my marketing budget that, uh, you know, eats up money every month. So I'm going to say in the new world where everything's digital, I'm going to say let's try to get to 100% digital, but let's use some methods that we can to find out those people who say, hey, I still want to have this in my hands. I still want to see it right there. Uh, so we can find out ways where people can opt in to get, you know, printed off. And then so now if we're taking a 80 percent print rate down to maybe 30 and then a couple months, it's down to 15 percent. I think that's the way to go, in, in my opinion. All around the country, printers' hearts are breaking, Rick. There are tears <laughs> right. being shed when you said yeah. that. <laughs> Let's move on to the next question. This one All was right. submitted by Carrie Cole at WCI sure. Communities. Which social media platforms have you had the best experience with in membership marketing? I'm going to I'm going to throw out two, Gabe. Uh, I think first, just the pure numbers, say Facebook is is the, still the spot to go. And I say that because of the different demographics at a club. Uh, I think Facebook does reach the older demographic uh, more than any of the other platforms. So I think broad based at a club, Facebook comes down to it. And, you know, there's a lot of great things to Facebook. Uh, in my time here, I want to do, though, bring in Instagram. Uh, it's one of my favorite social media pieces, being a very visual person. Uh, and since the properties that generally these clubs are on are so beautiful, and there's a lot of things that happen around a club that people would want to see, I think that's where Instagram comes out. And one of my favorite clubs, Valhalla uh, Golf Club in Louisville, they have one of the best Instagram feeds that I've seen in a long time. So I'll say Facebook across the board, but I'll say Instagram is the up and comer. What do you think, my friend? Well, I agree with Facebook. However, I'm going to give it a little bit of a twist. I am going to talk about audience retargeting. So I'm not sure if our listeners are aware, but you can actually feed Facebook a custom list that you generate and Facebook will match those records to the user. So here's a for instance, I have a golf tournament that comes through and I have 144 golfers play my my course for a charity tournament. If I can get their names and email addresses and phone numbers, I can feed that into Facebook. And Facebook, on average, is going to match about 40% of those names. Now I can get them on Facebook and kind of remind them how much fun they had on my course at my club. Mm. 
and I can start to give them very, very targeted ads. So I love Facebook for that. The second thing I want to bring up is the new social streaming services. Facebook has something called Facebook Live. Our listeners might also be aware of Periscope and some of these other ones. But I think that is... Uh, sort of an up-and-coming social media platform where you can do some really unique things and create some content for the club that's rich and that really engages potential members. So imagine doing a golf tip of the week or the sailing yacht lesson of the week. You could do that on a weekly basis and get some engagement from people who now you're teaching them something, a skill, and when they think of sailing or they think of golf, who do you think they're going to think of? So I I love Periscope and Facebook Live for those reasons. Wow, that was detailed. You are the marketing guru. (laughs) All right, Rick, here's a question that's directed at you. It's from Rachel Carter at the Monterey Peninsula Country Club. Rick, can you share some examples of clubs and how they've been able to use data to drive decision-making in an environment, private clubs, that so often makes decisions on emotions and assumptions? I love this question. Rachel's awesome, so I I fully expect that. Uh, I'm going to look at it in a couple of ways, Gabe, here. I'm going to look at membership committee meetings and board meetings. I think they're a little bit different, and I've had the opportunity to be in both. Uh, Starting with the membership committees, what I see the most is I see data being more and more used to to help onboard the new members more than I have really over the last five to ten years. There's a more concerted effort uh, to match new members with the existing members via, via data. And the way they do that is they, they track club interests. What is this person interested in at the club? Age demographics, even colleges. You know, two people coming from Kentucky, you know, I, w- I would certainly want to meet with them. So they're trying to find the natural matches to help, uh, help make that member, new member, feel more comfortable at the club. Uh, with a CRM, I also drive our clients to keep metrics on everything revolving around their sales pipeline, uh, such as funnel stage, which is how they qualify, ABCD, hot, warm, cold, whatever they want to do to to say these. This is my hottest prospect, or these are my warm leads. Uh, we track lead source. Where is that lead coming from? And that's a huge piece for the committees and the boards. Did it, did it come through the website? Did it come from a member referral? Did it come from a direct mail piece? That's a huge uh, piece of data. Membership interest, which of our membership options are drawing the most interest? And same with amenities, you know, is tennis drawing more interest in? Is some of the winter sports drawing the interest in like we think they are? Well, if we have that data, it takes away the speculation. And the more that you can see, the more that you can know. Uh, At the board level, uh, I think the biggest couple of items that are looking for is return on investment on marketing dollars, um, specifically technology expenditures and any outward marketing if we can track again, so if we're we're purchasing a new website, we certainly want to do our best to know how many people came through the website, how many, you know, how long are they staying on the website compared to what it was. If we're able to give real data on those kind of things, then it helps those boards understand, wow, that was a really beneficial expenditure for us. And then you have the best opportunity to get another yes if you're able to show that return on investment. All right, Gabe, I have one here as well. If you could track one piece of data at the club level, what would it be for you? I'm going to go into the membership department here, and I'm going to talk about return on investment. I think all too often membership directors are just throwing money haphazardly based on their budget for the month. I'll get calls like, hey, Gabe, let's do a postcard campaign this month or... This month, I'd like to do an email blast, but there's no real plan. There's no overall goal. 
And the reason is because they're not tracking previous prior results and what the return on investment of prior campaigns were. So if there's one piece of data, it would be the ROI on your marketing. Rick, what would it be for you? Yeah, I mean, just like I mentioned in the last uh, last question there, I would I would pretty much agree with you. I see ROI as something that a lot of people know and they throw it out, you know, very casually. But to actually figure out that actual number and to be able to apply it, that's a that's a more difficult task. And so clubs need to have platforms that help them keep track of data. And but you know, again, when you show somebody at the board level that a, you know, a new website has garnered you five new members and every new member helps us bring on $17,000 in annual revenue. And so you, you see a return on investment of 4,000%. You're pretty much going to have your ability to get whatever you're going to ask for next. If you bring that to the table with that specific level of data. So love your answer there. Uh, I think I'll end this inbox with a a random question for the day, if that's all right. Sure. So for it. So I looking across this le- the landscape of my social media platforms, I see a lot of skinny jeans, Gabe, and it's something I've never really been able to understand. A, what do you think about skinny jeans? And B, personally, do you think I can pull them off? All right. Well, first question for you. Does your club allow denim? They absolutely do. Well, Rick, I've seen your legs in person, albeit underneath a suit, but I think you look pretty athletic. I think they'd look pretty darn good on you, Rick. Excellent. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) You have any yourself? I had a few pairs, but after I was at the National Club Association conference, I ate too many Chicago dogs (laughs) and I don't fit into them. (laughs) Yeah, understand. Well, thank you guys so much for this, Uh, Rick. It was a pleasure to have you on. Look forward to having you next month on The Inbox. Want to be on the next edition of The Inbox? Visit privateclubradio.com slash inbox and leave us a voicemail. The best questions will get answered on the show. Hope you enjoyed that as much as Rick and I had putting it together. Our next edition of The Inbox will happen on July 25th. And Rick and I will probably record that about a week in advance of that date. So if you have a question that you'd like to air on that edition, get it to us by at least, I'd say, July 10th, and you'll have a good shot at it. All right, it's time to bring on our featured guest. Michael Braidwood is the Director of Education for the Club Managers Association of Europe and is responsible for the ongoing rollout and delivery of the CMAE's management development programs. He's a certified club manager and an advanced fellow of the PGA. Michael's experience includes being the operations director for Braemar Golf Developments from 2010 to 2014. And prior to that, Michael was the CEO of Bahrain International Golf Course Company from 2008 to 2010, overseeing four business units and representing their interests in the Reef of Views development project. Before being promoted to CEO, Michael was the general manager of the Reefa Golf Club in Bahrain from 1998 to 2008, which hosted multiple events, including the European Seniors Tour Tour Championship on two occasions and the PGA's Pro Captain Challenge on six occasions. Before moving to Bahrain, Michael was a golf professional at the Glen Eagles Hotel in Scotland. Michael, welcome to Private Club Radio. 
Um, thank you. And uh, delighted to be here. Thank you. Yeah, it's such a treat to have you on the show today. I'd love, I always love to get an international perspective on the show. Always great ideas come out of that from diverse viewpoints and from looking at things in a different way. So I'm really excited to have you. So to start things out, I'd like to ask you about some of the challenges that are facing club managers and industry professionals today in Europe. What are some of the main issues you're seeing, Michael? Well, I think the um, biggest, biggest change we, we've seen in, in recent years is just the um, the decline uh, in need for, for memberships. Uh, a lot of clubs are, are seeing the membership numbers that are declining. Um, as people are just uh, looking at different ways to spend their, their income and, and spend their, their family time or their time, if you like, uh, so there's been a lot of new competition that's come to clubs, be it from um, multiple TV channels, um, the internet, uh, on-demand uh, TV shows, um, other sports, recreation activities. Uh, work is demanding more people's time, families more people's time. So clubs are having to really react quickly and, and change uh, the way they think about things and the way they operate in order to make the the, the, the fabric of club, club life appealing again. And I think I think they're on the right track, um, but it, it, it did take everyone a little bit by surprise where people thought, well, maybe I'm not quite getting as much value at the club as I should. I'm going to spend my money and my time in different ways. So these, that's probably the number one biggest challenge we're seeing at the moment. Now, you alluded to it a little bit. I think it's the same thing here in the United States that people just have a lot less time on their hands, a lot less leisure time. You're seeing the same thing over there in Europe? Uh, yes, it is. Um, I mean, certainly in some club scenarios, uh, there's more people. Of, um, th- there was a time when there was people taking early re- retirement, and um, they had that available time. But but now um, people are having to work a little harder. Um, some people are needing to work longer hours now, are working longer later into their careers just to uh, top up their pensions. Um, and others now, the family balance, husband and wives are, are working now full time. So uh, a lot of people who are retired are maybe going into involuntary daycare looking after grandkids or helping <laughs> sure. so it, it's just changing you know everyone's time is very very precious commodity and um and and people now are trying to cram so much more into their lives as well so that again that is um it, it's true world over we're seeing it everywhere i think um and um clubs are needing to react to that yeah, absolutely. There's just so many options out there. Now, I know at least in the UK, private clubs are very much golf centric. Is that also the case throughout uh, mainland Europe? Uh, yeah, I think so. And uh, and again, some of the, the larger clubs in, in the UK that were golf centric are opening up to the idea of having to put on different activities uh, and are looking for areas to expand just in order to uh, appeal to a, a broader cross section of the market or to the spouse or to the kids or, or whatever to make it a, a more appealing proposition for to get people A, to the club, and then to feel the deriving value because they're spending more time there. Now, in the continent, that's um, a little different. Some clubs um, maybe aren't as old and, and weren't established so long ago that they've, they've actually created that plan from day one and had a, a multi-sport aspect to it. Um, so... We are seeing that, that there's a lot of still very, very traditional um, golf clubs and private clubs on in, in the continent that are having to change. But some of the clubs have been well uh, well set up from the beginning, uh, being slightly newer with uh, other sports, tennis, um, swimming, uh, country club type elements that you would expect to see. So um, I think everyone's looking at trying to broaden their offering a little bit more now. 
Yeah. So yeah. with golf on the decline worldwide, you, you see, start to see this shift happening. It's, it's a lot of it's coming from the United States. Where are club managers starting to get some of their ideas and and their new offerings of, of amenities? Where are those coming from? Well, well, I think um, what we've seen in the in the UK market certainly at the golf club level is the national golf unions um, have been um, very much. Um, on the ball with this and, and start to go into clubs and, and offer them some services to help them just look at their strategic plan, look at their governance and and and, and look at ways of where they can make the, the club a little bit more appealing. So they're, they're being very proactive in taking ideas and solutions to the clubs. Um, and then I think in times when things are a little bit more challenging, if things are going well, you tend not to, to worry so much about it. So you don't ask for advice or you don't seek advice. You just crack on with what you're doing. So now that... Um, uh, clubs are looking for new ideas and new approaches to engage or get new members. Managers are more inclined now to start to, to share ideas, go to seminars, go to, to networking events. Um, a good number um, this year went over to the CMAs World Conference on, on club management, and all all that movement of ideas has been great. And of course, the internet's been fantastic, and social media. Uh, a lot of a lot of clubs are are, are not shy at posting on on Facebook of what the latest innovative idea is to, to capture imagination and everyone else can see that. So if you see a good idea in practice, you can copy it and, and put it out there. So um, definitely activity breeds activity. And we've, we've been saying this for a long time to, to club managers. You need to keep the club active. You need to have a lot of activity going on to engage not just your core of your members. Um, you want to be seeing um, the whole cross-section of your members getting, getting um, benefit out of your club and, and using the club facilities more often. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some of the more cutting-edge clubs throughout Europe doing differently that stand out for you, Michael? Well, we're seeing um, a lot of clubs now are looking at their um, utilization. Um, a lot of clubs have got um, online uh, management systems for bookings and such like. So you can, at a touch of a button, see who's playing and see who's not playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're reacting to the ones who aren't playing and saying, well, these, these are on the danger list. These, these people are not going to renew next year if they're not using the club. Then they're going out there. It's not cutting edge. It's pretty standard stuff, but putting out member surveys, asking them what they want. What do you want out of your club? And then working on ways to be able to deliver that. So that's becoming more of the norm now, of just looking across it and saying, well, running competitions only is the only activity for a lot of clubs. That's only engaging 10 or 20%. What are the other 80% wanting? So other clubs are now putting more social golf programs in, integrating other sports, trying to put in a lot more family activities as well, just to try and uh, f- make sure that they are uh, touching all the members of their clubs to make sure that they will uh, retain. Other clubs are now starting to broaden out their offering, looking at uh, affinity groups and, and creating clubs within clubs, special interest groups, putting a little bit more effort on that front, um, asking members to volunteer if you're particularly interested in fine wines, put on a fine wines affinity group if you're interested in cycling. Cycling's gone crazy over here. Yeah. Get the cyclists to start at your club and finish at your club. They're still using your facilities. They may use your your um, uh, your, your bar or, or your lounge for coffees and, and such like. So it's just trying to thinking a little bit out of the box, nothing too revolutionary, but enough just to, to show a the mem- show to the members that A, that you care and you do want them to be getting value out of your club and, and B, putting on stuff that they actually want and need. A lot of clubs now are doing shorter formats. Um, uh, 18 holes, the traditional 18 holes has been uh, just is too long for a lot of people. So being able to run nine-hole competitions, six-hole competitions, 
bits and pieces like that um, has helped a lot. How about in terms of attracting sort of a younger demographic to clubs? Is there anything in particular that you see clubs in Europe's doing that are that it's really working or standing out? This has been a challenge. There's been a huge over the years. I think we've done a great job in introducing a lot of kids to the sport um, and uh, getting getting kids, be it golf, be it tennis, be it other sports. There's, there's been a massive push, in, and that probably comes from the government downwards, really, to to get people active. Um, but then it's trying to get them retained, and, and a lot of that's got to do with the money because you can offer um, activity to kids for relatively low cost, but then ultimately they're going to have to pay full fees. So that's been challenging. And mm-hmm. um, the other things that uh, clubs are trying to do is just get get with it a little bit and get quicker quicker with the times. Relaxing the dress code has been extremely important. Um, just making sure that you've got um, Wi-Fi connection. A good Wi-Fi connection is important, and uh, and mobile phones being accepted on 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 the golf course and in the clubhouse areas and such like all these things are now starting to get talked about and, and starting to get introduced uh, which have been long overdue and I, again that's going right back to the, the, the core of the the message we've been talking about is how are you engaging with some of your members that have, have sort of become disengaged and by surveying them and asking them what they want and and, and then reacting to that that breeds loyalty in itself if, if, if you're asked as a customer or as a member what you want and and you then give your feedback and then react on your feedback you're going to instantly become loyal to that club because they're listening to you um so clubs are doing that but i think there's a long way to go and the, the big challenge that um pretty much all all clubs and all sports have got is keeping that 25 year old to 50 year old uh, demographic just because they've got so much going on they're building their careers they're building families they haven't got disposable income how do you keep these people engaged in your club and that that's a tough job because you may have to, you may have to unnecessarily discount to, to keep keep them engaged, and that can almost be discriminatory against the older older uh, sure. uh, members of the club or members who have been at the club for a long, long time who've paid their dues and not um, had had it discounted. So there's a lot of challenges out there doing it, but there's a lot of things going on. Um, some clubs are getting um, changing their their governance structure or, or in trying to get more younger people on their their boards or their committees. So the, the, there's a voice at the club, so the club will go uh, and offer things that uh, that, that they're needing. So um, lots and lots going on, lots of change, which is tough. Clubs don't like change that much. Uh, <laughs> sure. They've been around for a long time. But th- this change needs to happen. Um, but I think it's it's getting well thought out there. And um, the whole, not only not only the golf industry, but the whole, the whole sector of sports, uh, recreational le- leisure, are getting together and putting this concerted effort in to make sure that um, these products are healthy for the next generation and, and generations beyond. Oh, good stuff, Michael. I think that's an important distinction that you make is to actually get them actively involved in making the you know decisions at the club, getting them on those boards and committees. That's a, a very important point you make there. Um, where do you see, if you could look into your crystal ball, the private club industry in Europe going in the next 10 or 20 years? Uh, I, I think um, it, it, it's healthy. I, I think the private club industry is is, um, is needed. People like to have um, organised um, social time with like-minded people. And I, I mean, that was the fabric of club all in all. That's why clubs evolved hundreds of years ago. It was getting like-minded people together for a common interest. That that is still uh, still prevalent today. I think some clubs have got a little bit lost um, um, in recent years where they were trying to be all things to all people. Mm-hmm. 
that's actually quite dangerous. And if you can be all things to all people, then you're really clever. You've got a lot of resources. A lot of clubs don't have that. So um, I think they've got to get back down to the core of why they existed in the first instance and really, really work hard on that. And if you can get a nucleus of like-minded people with a common interest, they will want to come to your club as long as you keep it engaging, interesting and fresh. And I, I suppose the other thing that clubs need to be doing is you've got to be constantly innovating and evolving because times are changing so fast. And um, I don't know if there's any scientific evidence in this, but our attention spans aren't as long long as they used to be. I, and, think, they, I think the new figure is nine seconds or eight seconds, which is less than a goldfish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so things need to change and things need to be made different all the time because there's so much choice out there now in all walks of life. You go to the supermarket today, you get a choice for absolutely everything. Well, it's the same. Same. Uh, it's in life. So we're just looking for um, different things all the time. And we talk a lot about on our management development programs about experience. And everywhere you look now, people are out there looking for an experience. And who cares what it is? It might be tough mud or running miles and miles <laughs> right. through thick mud. But people like doing stuff like that because it's mm-hmm. an experience. Take photographs of it. They can share it with your friends and talk about it. So clubs need to be evolving to create experience constantly. So there's definitely a place for private clubs. I think um, the, 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 the ones that are going to be more susceptible to change will survive. Uh, and the ones that are, are, are going to listen better uh, or are going to do really well, the ones that are maybe stuck, uh, uh, stuck in their ways or, or steeped in tradition and not really wanting to change, they may find it a little bit more difficult. But I'm sure they'll find a way. So definitely I, I, I can see it. Um, see it working and going going forward, but there's got to be a lot of innovation there to make that happen. Here in the states, there's a, a perception from some of the thought leaders in the industry that the the ex- clubs that are really excelling are going to continue to excel, and the clubs that are declining are going to continue to decline. And, and there's going to be sort of a vacuum created. Uh, do you think that would be the case in Europe and the UK as well, or, or you know, are clubs kind of merging together, buying out other clubs and clubs going by the wayside uh, what do you see happening there certainly there's clubs going going by the wayside um and um that that's always happened and and, and will continue to happen they're just the they've either got their business model wrong uh they quite possibly not managed their affairs effectively um run out of money and they haven't changed uh quickly enough or, or kept their members engaged so that's that that is going to happen um there may be a time, and I know that um, so some um, some bodies are trying to get sort of localized sports hubs where more more clubs are starting to share space and 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 share member lists and 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 offer more reciprocals. So there's greater value. Mm-hmm. Bear in mind, you can only do one thing at any one time. So if you're working along with a tennis club or you're working along with another golf club, you can only be at one place at one time. Right. So right. by doing that and adding some value. Is good, but how do you share that money, and how, how do you still maintain income levels? Is a, is another question that has to be has to be answered. Uh, but certainly, um, big successful clubs who are doing well um, will will continue to do well because it's the old adage that members get men, members, and they they invite um, they'll invite other members to join their club, and people want to be part of a successful movement, and people want to be part of a club that where they can meet people, like-minded people, or, or use it for business networking. So the bigger clubs that are the, the ones that have been successful and are currently successful should be able to grow and take advantage of the current market situation. And, and the ones that are uh, struggling 
are going to just have to work harder or they will go out of existence. That, that's for sure. So that that's not going to be any different over in this part of the world. Well, the clubs that are starting to do things and, and evolve, I'm sure a lot of it's the impact is coming from the education that you guys are delivering. So you could tell us a little bit about some of the education that's happening in Europe. Yeah, we, we've been really fortunate um, that uh, in, in Europe, Club Manager Association of Europe formed uh, in 2001. Um, and early on, it was really uh, for that, the bringing together of various um Club manager associations, common interests, really back down to the fabric of club. And um, very early on, it was the, the, the demands from all the various associations was, can we get education? And more importantly, can we get certification for our managers uh, who are operating these clubs? And, and really, it was um, CMA that were extremely helpful and generous on uh, allowing uh, what's known as the BMI program in the United States to come over to Europe. So we now run uh, the, the same programs over here in Europe under the name of management development programs and have done since 2011. Uh, since then, we've run, I think it's now 46 uh, different different programs um, in six different countries. Um, and, and they're going from strength to strength. We're up to about 800 delegates. Um, and um, we've got a new term about to roll out there. So the demand is getting greater. What's more important is that the um, the recognition of the, the certification that we have is, is getting greater. Certified club manager has been going in the United States for over 50 years now, but in Europe it's, it's much, much younger. But now we're starting to see clubs um, asking for that on their, on their job uh, profile, saying uh, certified club manager, desirable, so that the, 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 the appropriately experienced and qualified uh, individuals are now starting to get uh, the, the, the right jobs in, in the industry, and that's helping a lot. But also, take away all that, the, just the level of the education that's going through and the results that we're seeing from our delegates, we're in constant contact. We're getting some great feedback stories. We encourage them to, to share their successes. We get some wonderful stories of them going back, applying what they've learned on our programs and actually making a difference at their clubs. And that that's the whole point and part and parcel of it. So whether they've done it for their own personal development or their clubs have sponsored them to go on the programs, by sponsoring them to go on the programs, they are making a positive contribution coming back. So the clubs are seeing a, a return on investment on um, their personnel going on the programs, and that's encouraging them to send more people onto the program as well. So it, it's going from strength to strength, and we're really, um, really, really pleased with the outcome. And uh, um, but more so, we feel that we're making a difference in the industry. Um, better qualified, better educated managers means healthier. A better run clubs which means a, a healthier industry for all so um, it, it is working and um, um, I'm, I'm delighted to be part of that now you have uh, in the first week of october your bmi international coming up can you give uh, attendees sort of a taste of what they might see yeah this is re- really interesting it's it's great to see um i think um bmi international I'm not an expert on the, on the, the exact history of it, but I don't think it's it's taken place for the last couple of years. Um, I think Jeff Morgan, um, when he, he he joined CMA, said he wanted to resurrect it. Approached approached uh, our London Home Counties region, and um, they've done a great job in putting a fantastic, I think, a six day itinerary together of education and um, some sightseeing as well, and 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 uh, some some pretty impressive uh, places. Uh, some of the city clubs, but also there's a, a trip to the Houses of Parliament. 
Um, and uh, so I think they're, they're going to be in for a treat. Um, not only that, the, the, the pool of presenters that we've got um, and the lineup are more or less people that they're not going to have a, come across before. And I know a lot of the American managers go to a lot of conferences and seminars. It's going to be a whole fresh approach. So they're going to, they're going to come across some really, really good um, speakers who are experts in their fields. And, and uh, I think they're going to learn a lot, but also have a great time just uh, seeing how some of these very, very historic, traditional clubs in, in, in the city of London have evolved over the years and how, how they've adapted to, to changing times as well. Yeah, I saw you're going to be visiting the All England Club, where, of course, they hold the Wimbledon every year and then a few other clubs as well. So it sounds like a pretty pretty interesting itinerary. Did I see that Boris Becker is going to be presenting or something? Oh, Boris will be there. and <laughs> Boris is going to be talking at the Roehampton. I think it's at Roehampton Club, but he's certainly going to be at lunch there. And he's a very, very interesting guy. I've, I've, I've met Boris a couple of times and uh, what a career he's had. And um now doing a great, great job in um, in coaching uh, tennis at the moment as well. But uh, he, he'll also have, have some interesting stories to tell for sure. Absolutely. Sounds like a really interesting uh, few days you're going to be putting on. I'd love to be there. Um, now, you have something else called the Management Development Program. We've, we've talked a little bit about that. But can you tell folks a little bit about why that program is so important? Well, um, like I said, it, it, it's what we call, it's our equivalent of BMI. and um, we have five different programs. Um, we have uh, club operations. All, all the programs are five days, residential. Um, there's, it's really, really intense executive education. Um, we're, we're getting people together who are working in the club industry. Um, it's a lonely job for a lot, of, a lot of these people. A lot of these people aren't managing big clubs. They may be the only person at the club that's actually on the payroll. So they don't have anyone else to turn to. So not only is it part of refreshing some of uh, prior learning that they would have already had, there's a lot of new content they may, may not have come across. We, we work with the 10 core competencies of modern club management as, as, we do, as you do in America. Um, a lot of our, our club managers or people coming into the industry will be strong on five, six, seven of these, but maybe have some blind spots. And invariably, it's the blind spots that will slip them up at their club. So we make sure they're getting that broad cross-section of education but more importantly, they're networking with a, a really positive peer group and they're now finding people to turn to when they've got a challenge at, in the workplace. Because when you, when you put 25 people in the classroom who've got all the years of experience of operating and working in the club industry together, someone in that room will have come across a problem you're just about to face or facing right at the moment. And it's the sharing of those experiences and sharing of the best practices that have been extremely value, valuable to, to our, our, our members over here. Um, and again, the residential component, um, people start to build up a little bit better bond, a bit of a bit of trust, be it at breakfast, lunch, dinner, or in the bar in the evenings. Um, and by virtue of that, people by the end of the week become quite open, honest, and upfront, and, and will share their mistakes. And you learn more from the mistakes than anything else. Sure. So that that's been extremely beneficial, and I'm delighted when when facilitating these programs. And in between some of the sessions, you ask someone to say, well, who, who, who made a big error on, on a promotion, for example? And it's great when someone puts a hand up and says, you know, we did this last year and it was a disaster, cost us a lot of money, we'd never do it again. Because someone in that room is probably thinking of doing something similar and they can learn from that straight away. So um, the, that has been fantastic and, and the, the power of the network is, is really, really strong. So we're, we're pleased with that. And it has been important to club life and, and now 
the programme sells itself because a manager goes away, speaks to another manager at a local club and says, this is a must-do for the for the, the sake of your own personal development and to help you improve the performance of your club. Absolutely. So we hear that a lot of times clubs in the UK and Europe are, are drawing ideas from the United States and a lot of, you know, a lot of kind of forward thinking things are happening here in the US. But I'd like to sort of flip that around for a second. What sort of lessons are happening in Europe and the UK that clubs here in the United States may not be doing or um, might need to learn about in, in your opinion? Wow, that, that that's tough because we are we are constantly on search for for ideas and and, and I know the the world conference is ex- extremely extremely good on on, on that front. Um I I think um some of the the the, the the larger American clubs are possibly out of context to us because they're so so huge and such such large businesses. Um, a lot can be learned um, from from the way our, our our smaller clubs are operated, governed, and, and, and operate on a, a much much tighter tighter budget. Um, so uh, I I think a lot of the clubs are making things happen with a lot less. Um, you, you you could when you put your mind to it and uh, and and get positive volunteer participation. A lot of these clubs are, are are run by a manager who may be the only full-time member of staff in operations. They'll, they'll then have some people doing maintenance, be it a golf course or on the tennis course and such like. But the rest of the clubs are run by volunteers. And um, it, the skill of getting the volunteers to, to work for their club. Um, that's, as a big, opposed, that's a big skill, I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> In some of the larger clubs, you'll have a volunteer, but the volunteer will sit on a committee or a board, and that will be they will give possibly their opinions or pass on their knowledge, but they won't really get their hands dirty. Whereas some of the clubs over in this part of the world, which ha- haven't got those resources, you've got some wonderful volunteers that, that really roll their sleeves up and get their hands dirty and really help that club uh, move forward. So there's a lot of learning to be taken, I think, from that of how the how the smaller club. Um, survives financially right. uh, and how it survives by making ha- having a great program of getting volunteers actively engaged in the club and contributing and contributing willingly you know and, and keeping that going because that's a tough thing to do you every club will have a sort of shining star member who will want to do everything but um if you can keep reproducing that year after year after year that um spirit of of, of volunteering and, and making the club happen um, that that that's something that, that, that can be really uh, really beneficial and, and and think certainly the clubs in America the smaller ones that aren't quite possibly doing financially as well as they, sh- they should be could learn a lot from that model of getting a little bit more out of their members uh, members expertise because again no member wants to see their club fold so um, right. I, I'm sure um, it, 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 that that that's been something that certainly opened my eyes up over over here. Yeah, I think running lean is a very important lesson to learn. And, you know, a lot of times I think, you know, in the, in the good times, clubs start spending a little bit too much, maybe. <laughs> and Absolutely. Um, <laughs> if you've got it, if it's in the bank, it's got to be spent. So. <laughs> right. And, 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 the, and what else I heard from that answer was that really instilling, you know, a, a core philosophy, a brand philosophy and core values of the club. Um, I think that gets lost a lot of times in clubs here in the U.S. is that it's just so much of a business almost where, where you don't really think of it as a brand and, and as, you know, something that the members want to uh, volunteer, as you said, and, and be a part of something. But that's right. I mean, a lot of cases it's the, it's the part of the community. It is the community hub. Now, 
it may not be doing well financially, but if you took that away, what would the community look like? It would be decimated, you know, it really would. And I think that that's something that clubs need to be a little bit stronger of, of, of shouting about the, the value they bring to the whole community um, of, of bringing people together, providing safe um, safe space for children to come and, uh, and learn a new sport or a new activity uh, to help grow up in and mix with adults in a safe environment. These are all key core fundamentals of what the club's all about. Uh, and the smaller clubs um, do that and, and, and they do well in getting people engaged in the community. So there's a lot of really great volunteers going on and some some tiny, tiny clubs. And um, maybe we should do a BMI International up in the Highlands and Islands of Scotland and go to these clubs that have um, volunteer, everything's volunteer, volunteer and you have an honesty box in the first tee where you put your money oh, in. Wow. Um, <laughs> so um, th- there's a lot of learnings because you can take you can take that stuff away and, and put it into a different context and apply it back to your club no matter what size. Wow, I love that stuff. Well, you've answered some tough questions here on the show. I got one last one that might be tough because uh, I'm sure they're all your babies, but I call this the bucket list question. If someone here from the United States was going to go to Europe and they needed to see a, a couple clubs or one club in particular that really stands out, what would that club be for you that we've got to see before we die? Oh, wow. That is a tough question. I mean, there's, there's, different, there's different things that different clubs do. Um, I mean, if you if you're an avid golfer, you would want to probably go there for the the course rather than the, than the club. If you're just a one time visitor, but if if you're going to stay there for the rest of your life, you might want to go for the club rather than the course because sure, sure. you're hanging around and the people or the the, the 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 quiet little bar with the fireplace in the corner is, is something there. Um, and then there's some phenomenal clubs. Um, our, our CME president, uh, Mark Newey, um, he runs a club called Roehampton Club uh, down in London. And it's just unbelievable the amount of activities they have going on there. It's a, I, they've got a golf course for sure, but they've got croquet lawns, tennis courts, squash courts. He's putting in racquetball. Uh, sorry, he's putting in paddle tennis uh, soon as well. So there's, there's clubs like that that if you were into, into activity, you'd want to go to a club like that just to get your feast of activity. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the, the, the places I enjoy. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a golf pro, but I'm, I kind of prefer going to the, the funky little nine-hole courses that are hidden away up in in the Highlands, and uh, uh, you just go there because it's it's quiet, it's unpretentious golf, it's beautiful scenery. Um, you you get a nice beer at the end in a in a uh, a, a club that's not it's not multi-million dollars. It's a you know it's it's great stuff. So there's there's handfuls of little clubs up and down the up and down the country uh, like that that. Uh, are just are just really quaint and, and and relaxing, and you go there and you just you don't care if the greens aren't running at thirteen on the stub meter. <laughs> is there you one in particular that stands out for you? Well, you know, I I, I like um, there's a little club called Can You See up in the Highlands uh, that's close to me. It's, it is actually eighteen holes, but um, it's it's a short course, but you probably hit every club in the bag because of the variety of par threes. Um, it, the the views are beautiful, um, uh, and the beer's cold at the end and. and <laughs> You know, you, you you don't even need to book a tea time. You just wander up and play, and and, and I like that. And there's, there's there's a lot of clubs like that, and these are important. These are the community clubs I'm talking about that that have to remain and have to become have to remain strong. Um, and in actual fact, I I don't go there up there too often, but when I do go, there's always changes to the course. But the changes to the course haven't really been done by the greens crew because there's not they're not that resort. It's done by the members. It's done by the people in the community. They come together. They go out there. Um, with all the tools and fix it themselves and 
Yeah, it's great. It's magic. Awesome. Awesome. Well, if folks want to find out more about the Club Managers Association of Europe or get in touch with you, Michael, how would they do that? Well, they can get in touch on our on our website, um, which is pretty easy to, to, to find, uh, cmaeeurope.org. Uh, contact me directly, michael.braidwood at cmaeurope.eu. Um, and uh, happy to answer any, any questions. Uh, uh, we're, we're evolving. We're evolving evolving fast uh, and we're really really evolving on the back of uh, a very very strong education product that's originated in the united states and we've taken it uh, europeanized it uh, and are delivering it to great success we even delivered it in the middle east uh three weeks ago wow. over in dubai so it's not just europe we're in dubai as well and that's 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 a whole different world as well sure um but uh it's all good because it's all we're sharing ideas we're sharing best practice um <laughs> We're not shy to talk about our failures as well because there's good learnings there as well. But it is good and we're building up a really, really, really strong community of club managers who um, work cooperatively together. We're all in it together. We're all trying to try and strengthen, make the clubs that we run better, better for our uh, better for our members, but better for the, the well-being of, of the sport or the community that we're associated with. So um, we're, we're very proud of what we're doing. And once again, that's cmaeurope.org. Thank you so much, Michael, for being on the show and joining us today. Okay, thank you very much. Fantastic stuff from Michael there. I love having a different perspective and an international perspective on this show. Hope you do too. And I hope to see you back here next week. We're going to be chatting with Bill McMahon, senior of the McMahon Group. He has a ton of insights into architectural trends in the private club industry. And because he's been in this industry for so long, I wanted to get his perspective and his take on trends and where he sees the private club industry going. I think you're really going to enjoy that one. As a reminder, don't forget to register early for the webinar and get your discount. Use the code PCR25 and get 25% off the Marketing to Millennials webinar. Registration happens at privateclubradio.com slash millennials. And don't forget to leave us a voicemail for the inbox at privateclubradio.com slash inbox. Give us your question and Rick and I just might enter it on July 25th. Until next week, here's to your membership success. Just because this round is over doesn't mean you can't enjoy the 19th hole. Check out privateclubradio.com for more.